Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Tuesday morning, the 14th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. As you know, Airgrid has written to landowners along the route of the North-South Interconnector in counties Meath, Cavan and Monaghan, offering compensation in return for permission to erect pylons and run cables over ground. It proposes paying €50,000 for each pylon that it erects. The Irish Times reported that an additional €48,000 will be paid for 300 metres of power lines running over an individual property. Add in the cost of lawyers' fees and you have a total of €111,800 which Airgrid is offering to 400 individual landowners leaving Airgrid with a final bill of €40 million and that's just to compensate farmers for using their land. For anyone who looks at the letter, even in a cursory manner it's without prejudice which means it's 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 meaningless it's a voluntary offer and uh, there's actually no there's no strength behind it because the approach has been taken shows that airgrid has no statutory authority to proceed with the line they may have planning approval but they've no statutory authority so from reading this letter uh, rather than a, a letter of compensation it's a letter of desperation as, as we see it from them that's Parag O'Reilly of the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign. We can speak now to Michael Madden, who is uh, the Chief Infrastructure Officer with Airgrid. A very good morning to you, Michael. Thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Can we just uh, check those figures with you? Uh, can you verify uh, what was reported in the Irish Times, that this will amount to an overall cost of €40 million Euro for Airgrid to compensate landowners along the route? Good morning, Michael. So, first of all, maybe just to, to, to talk about what we've actually done recently. So, we've written to all of the landowners on the route, and we've offered them a compensation package, a voluntary package, to enter into an agreement with us to allow us to proceed to construction of the project. That does that, that does look to compensate farmers fairly and to provide them with a fifty thousand euro payment to put a pylon on their land. But naturally, if you have a pylon on your land, you're going to have a cable going across the land. And depending on the amount of cable that crosses your land, you will get a payment of up to 100, of 160 euros per metre. So for 
for 300 metres, as the example that has been given, that would equate to 48,000 euros. Plus, we're looking to compensate landowners um, for, for their, for their, to provide a, a sum for the legal costs. And also, we have an early signing of bonus as well. So the figures there of 110,000 are, are roughly correct for that example. Some farmers will get a little bit more, some will get a little bit less, depending on their circumstances. And that does total up to roughly around 40 million euros in terms of compensation to allow us to construct this project, but to allow and to allow the landowners to host that infrastructure for the life of this project. And what about the estimated cost overall? I think that's at about 835 million euro. Is that 40 million euro factored into that? So the 40, the 40 million euro will be factored into the overall cost. Um, I haven't heard reference to 835 million as, as an overall figure for this project. This, this ESB networks are currently finalising the final procurement uh, 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 for, for, for this project, and that will actually this component in terms of landowner compensation will be part of the overall total for the, for the project. But yes. it, it was always planned to compensate farmers uh, and at this level. It, Michael, it was always planned to compensate landowners, but this is the first time we've offered a compensation package for this project. Uh, we haven't previously, so we're happy to get to this point to issue the letter and to now to engage with our landowner uh, experts, our ALOs, who are going door to door to meet all the landowners over the next couple of months to answer any questions they have, to take on board their feedback and to hopefully that all, a lot of the landowners or all of the landowners will sign up to the voluntary agreement that we're putting before them at the moment. Okay, I've heard this referred to as 30 pieces of silver uh, that Airgrid is making landowners an offer they can't refuse. Uh, you heard Porico O'Reilly there a moment ago saying you have planning approval, but you don't have statutory authority to go ahead with this. Is he correct? No, I, I, I tend to disagree with Mr. O'Reilly in, in terms of the statements that he's made there. We're offering a fair package to landowners to host the infrastructure for the next 40 to 50 years on, on their land. It's a fair price that we've developed based on our previous agreements with the IFA for other pieces of infrastructure. We've also looked at how other companies, other utilities, uh, look to compensate people for hosting their infrastructure. Uh, and we also looked at in terms of the importance of this project. because It's a strategically important project for us to strengthen the network, to provide the security supply that we need in Ireland and Northern Ireland, to reduce the cost of electricity, to support the renewables and to support our climate action targets and to reduce carbon. So it's a really important package, it's a really important project and we have offered a fair compensation package for landowners um, that we're looking to host this infrastructure. And you're offering this, uh, as you say, uh, around 100,000, uh, a bit more than that, uh, depending on uh, the circumstance of uh, the farmers or if they sign up early and so on. And they can volunteer uh, to accept your offer, uh, they can also reject it. Uh, is that right? They, ha- they, have, uh, they have a choice to make whether they want to accept the package that we put in front of them uh, or not. Um, but we're really trying to give landowners time. Our team have only started to engage with landowners on the ground. And the feedback to date has been very positive. The, the people we've met have been very courteous and are engaging. Some are actually signing up. Some are, are, are going to talk to the solicitors. Some want more information uh, and some just want to take time to considering. So we're only starting this process now. We're face-to-face engaging with our teams 
and landowners over the next few, few months. Few and, and I know you're hoping to meet with people on Wednesday at the Glen Carn Hotel in Castle Blaney. Ergrid will be there between half six and half eight and we'll repeat that uh, a little bit later on. But as you say, farmers have the option. They can accept your offer or they can reject your offer. We're going to hear once again, Michael, from Park O'Reilly. We said this to landowners directly that they could likely be offered about 100000 on this and based on that, are they still against the project so that none of us will be wasting our time. And 85% of the people signed up saying uh, it doesn't matter whether it's 100000 or 200000 it's not about the money. I mean, bear in mind mm. this 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 uh, this request from Airgrid would be for unlimited access into the yards and into the into the land of these people forever. It would be registered on the deeds of their property. Mm. The landowners would not be allowed to object at any stage, and Airgrid could upgrade the line. They could have access through their private entry into from the into their houses, which some of these access routes are talking about. Uh, uh, l- 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 never mind the health issues. Right, that's Park again of MPPC. Michael Mahan of Airgrid on the line with us. Um, what do you make of that claim? 85% of landowners have said they're going to reject your offer. First time we've offered a compensation package for this project. And we haven't to date. So if I was a landowner, would I want to actually just like, voluntarily accept they're going to host infrastructure without to understand how I'm going to be compensated? No. So we've put together a letter, we've put together a fair offer, we've issued it to all the landowners, and now we're engaging face-to-face with all of the landowners to see where they sign up. The feedback to date from the door-to-door engagement to date has been positive, and we are already receiving some of the, uh, <clears throat> the forms back from the landowners where they've actually signed up. So let us give it mm. some time to do that. But let me also just stress as well, this is, is, is an electricity project at 400 kV, um, sometimes it comes across that this is very new infrastructure. We've had the same infrastructure in Ireland for the last 40 years, Michael. There's 460 kilometres in Ireland for the last 40 years, and landowners have been hosting that for, for us and for ESB for that period of time. This is an extra 100 kilometres in the Republic of Ireland of the same infrastructure that we're now looking to, to uh, deploy across mm. Mead, Martin and Cavan, connecting to Northern but Ireland. But you could only do it with the cooperation of the landowners, and if they are to cooperate, is Porto correct in saying that you will have access to the entry to their properties forever more, uh, and in decades to come, uh, you will still have that access, uh, and that you will have the option of deciding to upgrade the works uh, and can gain access at any stage? So we need to maintain all of the infrastructure that that, that, that uh, um, landowners are currently hosting. If you look at the number of people that were without power yesterday, ESB networks are working day and night to restore a lot of people who have been without power because during the storm... So yes, so yes, so, so you will always have access to the entry onto their lands and it will and be, and it'll be written into the deeds of the property. Correct, it'll be written into the deeds, but it allows to maintain the infrastructure the same as takes place for all of the electrical infrastructure in okay. Ireland. But we always try to do that and do that in cooperation with the landowners right. who understand the importance of the infrastructure, understand the importance of maintaining it so that we all have a good supply of electricity into the future. Okay, 85%, uh, that's the starting point who are going to reject your offer. Uh, you do well to get that down to 100% accepting your offer. Uh, if one landowner or two landowners uh, rejected your offer, would you be able to proceed? So we, we want to get this project into construction next year, and that's the intention. 
Um, we don't need 100% access for all landowners at the start, um, but we'd like to see a lot of access being provided. We're engaging with the expectation that a lot of landowners will understand the importance of the project, will understand the importance of the infrastructure, and they'll recognise... But, but you need access to all... La- in time, we, you need access to all of the land. Yes, uh, if if landowners accept your offer, Michael, I'm sorry to cut across you, but the clock is getting the better of me. If uh, far- farmers accept your offer, uh, will the 50,000, 100,000 plus uh, that uh, you compensate them for be subjected to capital gains tax? Some landowners, I understand, will be subject to capital gains tax. Others may not. It really depends on their tax circumstances. Okay, but in general terms, the answer to that is yes. Yes, I understand. So that will leave them, but that will leave, but that will only, but that will only leave them with one third of what you're offering, will it not? No, I believe it will leave at least two-thirds for some, but potentially a lot more than that as well. Again, each landowner has their own uh, tax circumstances to look at and consider. Okay, you, you say you want farmers to understand the importance of this project. A big part of that was the need for an upgrade in Northern Ireland. Does that need remain? The need is, is needed in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and it will strengthen the network in both jurisdictions. And it's still as vitally important as it was many years ago when the project was first conceived. It's not more important at this point. Okay. In Northern Ireland, only half of the landowners uh, have uh, accepted the offer from your counterpart there, Sony. Is that correct? Uh, and what does that mean for the progress of this project? So in Northern Ireland, we have gone through the same voluntary process. Uh, Sony has gone through the same process. They've, they've offered a, a, a compensation package. A number of landowners have accepted. Others haven't, and there's a statutory process that's undertaking, I understand, in Northern Ireland at the moment, so that they will have, they, Sony will have full access with NIE to proceed to construction of the project in, in Northern Ireland. So that they'll get court orders to enter lands? They will get the relevant statutory access to mm. enter the land. Okay, and is that what will be duplicated here? We may get to a point where we need to uh, look at uh, and proceed with the statutory process, but we're not at that point now. We're in a point of engaging with landowners over the next number of months to offer a voluntary package to answer any questions they have and to try and address a lot of the misinformation that's been surrounding this project for the last number of years. But you will gain access to people's land. Uh, and if that is through a statutory mechanism, will farmers continue to be compensated or will you just uh, get permission to go onto their land through the courts and they will receive no compensation? Uh, I understand that they will receive compensation. It may not be to the same amount, but they will receive compensation um, if going through a statutory process. Uh, and you're absolutely certain that uh, you will be able to do that? Yes. Right. I'd like you, know, you to listen to Porik once again, if you don't mind, Michael, because he is challenging that. They can't do that, Michael. Like this, they cannot do that. I mean, that, that is, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that is really, really important for all our landowners to understand. They have no statutory authority to turn up with any court order. They're looking for a voluntary agreement with farmers. Uh, they have no statutory authority to proceed with the line. Mm. Um, and we stand over that statement and if they want to say otherwise we'd love them to put that on the record Michael, can you put it on I'm the record? To, I'm happy to put it on the record that we develop projects we proceed, get the consent we, get, we look for the agreement of landowners and we hand the project over to ESB ESB have the statutory authority to, to move ahead 
with the various different options there to actually gain access to the land. Our primary focus is on doing that on a voluntary basis, hence the process we're going through now. I tend to disagree with Michael, um, I'm sorry, with Mr. Right, O'Reilly, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, on, on that basis. I, I don't agree okay. with that basis. So if ESB turns up with a, a court order to gain access to a farmer's land to erect a pylon and it is met by a blockade, what will happen then? We're not at that point now, Michael. Will people, past- will people be arrested? That's not for us to decide. That, if, that, that, that would be in line with the court that, order, though, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be somebody... Will Gardaí be called? It's, it's, they, they potentially will, and that's not a decision for, for us. So, er, so er, but er, Airgrid, Airgrid will follow the court order, which will give you the right to access land, uh, and if people uh, obstruct that, uh, you'll call the guards, and then they could be arrested, and then they could be prosecuted. At that point, yes, but the project will be handed over to ESB and we will be supporting ESB in constructing the project. Okay. Uh, this really has the potential to divide communities. Do you not agree with that, Michael? Michael, that is the importance of engaging with communities over the next number of months, to engage with the landowners, to answer all of their questions, to give the communities the option to come along and meet us next week, or this week in the Glencairn Hotel, next week in, in, in the Kilmore Hotel in Cavan, to address their questions, answer any uh, questions they have about this project or about the other aspects of those roadshows, which are not just talking about North South. The primary focus of the roadshows rolling out all over the country is to talk about our projects from an agri perspective, to allow ESB networks to talk about uh, the opportunities on, on probably on the distribution system for people and also the SDI to talk about grants. Okay. I understand this week is probably going to be taken over a lot with North South, but we're we're, 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 we are trying to move it forward. We're going to try and establish, and we're going to establish a community forum to address the questions and look for members of the public to come along and be part of that forum so that we can answer the questions in the forum and provide an access channel to all of the communities on the route, the same as we're doing in other projects at the moment. Okay, Michael, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Just to repeat, Airgrid will be at the Glencairn Hotel in Castle Blaney on Wednesday between half six and half eight. And uh, the hotel in Cavan. What was the name of that hotel, Michael? Uh, the Kilmore Hotel. The following week. Next, next Wednesday night. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you in, indeed uh, for that. Michael Mahan, Chief Infrastructure Officer with Airgrid. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Finding somewhere to live in this country is one thing. Affording it is another thing. But there is a raft of other problems that you may encounter if you're looking to rent in this country, particularly if you're a student from overseas. The Irish Council for International Students is very concerned at the prevalence of predators who are seeking sex in lieu of rent. They're calling for urgent legislation to clamp down on the this and we're joined by Laura Harmon who's the executive director of ICOS. A very good morning to you Laura and thank you indeed for joining us. You're making this call amongst other calls for that matter following a survey of some 819 international students from 73 countries. I suppose there were positives and negatives to this but the negatives are particularly worrying aren't they in particular to this idea of 
of sex for rent. 5% of those 800 students said that they'd been offered a room in exchange for sex. Were you surprised by that? Yes, well, absolutely. I mean, it is, you know, a pretty shocking, you know, statistic. Now, however, over the last, you know, year or so, we have heard, you know, reports of an increase, uh, you know, in this kind of predatory behaviour. You know, there are predators out there who are trying to um, take advantage of people, you know, because of the housing crisis, because people are quite desperate, you know, to find a room, to find a roof over their heads. Um, So 5% of respondents, you know, to be clear, so they had either been directly offered a room in exchange for sex or they had seen an ad for a room in exchange for sex. So um, that was what the 5% sort of made up. And, you know, a further, you know, one in 10 of all of the certain respondents were unsure whether they had seen such ads. And I suppose the nature of these ads is they can be quite ambiguous. You know, people put up ads with language like, you know, must be open-minded, uh, must be willing to share bed, um, or must be willing to have fun, you know, with other people in the house. So, um, they can be very vague, and particularly, I think, for, for students coming over here whose first language might not be mm. English, um, they can, you know, fall maybe victim to such sort of um, scams or offers and not be sure what it means. So that was very concerning, mm. and there is no real data in relation to this. So, you know, we were glad to be able to include that as one of our questions, and we are calling for an urgent clampdown in relation to this. Mm. There is legislation that hasn't yet been passed by the Dáil, um, from Deputy Keno Callaghan in the Social Democrats, which is going through the Oireachtas at the minute, which we would say urgently needs to, to come through to clamp down on this. Mm-hmm. But other, I suppose, findings, and, you know, surprising and not surprising, I mean, overcrowding is, is, is still a big issue mm-hmm. in terms of accommodation, particularly for English language students, where four out of five of them say that they have shared a room with one other person mm-hmm. uh, or more. Um, and then the issue of scams. I mean, we had a campaign over the summer with Threshold and the union students in Ireland to highlight the issue of accommodation scams, uh, particularly um, to students and international students. And this survey, like last year's survey, has found that one in 10, more than one in 10, 13% uh, of respondents have said that they have, you know, been targeted with an accommodation scam or fallen victim to an accommodation scam and only 10% of those actually reported to the Gardaí so there's a lot of under-reporting going on mm. there as well. Yeah, so and scamming is rife in this country. Uh, you know, uh, in terms and of in effect that means that people end up uh, with uh, the deposit that they paid lost. Absolutely, yeah. They might have paid a deposit or even one month's rent up front and they lose it. I suppose some interesting findings from the report we've launched today is that you know, we found that nearly a third of international students seeking accommodation have found it through friends or mm. through social media. Um, 15% through their school or college and only 14% through, you know, repu- reputable websites like daft.ie. Um, so really a lot of this is happening online. It's happening kind of through um, friends of friends or through social media. So I think there needs to be more promotion of kind of the proper channels where accommodation is allowed to be advertised um, because there is a lot of scamming happening uh, online, you know, on Facebook, and, and, and Instagram, on WhatsApp. Kind of obviously so, Laura, isn't it? Uh, I mean, uh, when you look at the findings of your report, uh, it's very clear that uh, the international students looking for accommodation in this country are particularly vulnerable. Uh, it's impossible to get somewhere. It's 
even more difficult to pay. If you do get somewhere, you're looking at the potential of being in overcrowded substandard accommodation and you may have a long commute to college or whatever the case may be. So whether it's you agree to sex for rent or or something else, you are a, a vulnerable person, are you not, because of all of those reasons combined? Absolutely. And I mean, I think particularly, you know, as I say, students whose, whose first language might not be English, um, you know, would be would be vulnerable. I mean, if we can imagine, you know, ourselves, if we were to travel to another country where they didn't speak English and we had to find somewhere to live, it would be, you know, very challenging. And that's particularly so for, for students coming here. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it is very clear in the report that a lot of people, you know, they end up living, you know, far away from college. It takes them a long time to find somewhere and they do end up in precarious kind of situations. But, you know, any student that contacts us who's been scammed or who has seen a sex for rent ad, for example, we would encourage them to report this, you know, to the authorities um, or to ourselves or to Threshold, you know, housing um, charity um, to get advice, you know, in relation mm. to that. And I suppose that while it is a lot of doom and gloom and there is a lot of negativity in the report, yeah. I suppose I just want to say that, you know, colleges in Ireland, you know, they go above and beyond to provide an exceptional, you know, world-class standard student experience for people coming here. People want to come to Ireland. They want to come for the fantastic education. They want to come for the culture for numerous different reasons. But, you know, the the worry here that I have is that this is putting a lot of that at jeopardy, that this is undermining all of that great work. And it really is up to the government, you know, to act on this. And I know it's a symptom of the wider housing crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, this is affecting everyone, Mm -hmm. not just students. But it really is coming to a point now where there needs to be urgency in relation to this. And sometimes when I hear government ministers talk, when I hear... Uh, politicians talking about this, I don't hear urgency in their voices. So there needs to be a massive scaling up of ambition here when it comes to building uh, purpose-built student accommodation, when it comes to targets in terms of Mm. student accommodation strategy which we don't have at the minute. And I think um, sometimes some of us are, are so comfortable in, in our lives that we're removed from the reality uh, that uh, a lot of people are in, including international students. But I, I was very struck by some of the comments that were made to you about overcrowding. I mean, overcrowding means one thing to one person and another thing to another person, depending. Uh, but you heard from people uh, who had two bathrooms uh, which were being used by 13 people. I mean, just think about the daily routine. Uh, people listening to us this morning trying to get into the bathroom. Uh, if there's 13 other people trying to battle to get into one of the two bathrooms. Uh, but worse still, you heard from a Brazilian student who said they were sharing a double bed with a person that they didn't even know. Absolutely. And I mean, these might sound like extreme cases, but actually, you know, they're quite common in what we do here from a lot of students, particularly English language students. And it is a case that, you know, they're ending up in these situations because they have no other option, because there isn't availability of accommodation because of cost, and because a lot of the properties out there are substandard and there isn't being... There isn't enough enforcement being done by local authorities to make sure that they are up to standard. There's a lot of inspections being done on properties, but not enough actual enforcement and refurbishment being done. Um, so it is quite quite worrying, and it does impact on you know the student experience, on their ed- education, on their mental health as well. Fifty five percent of them said their mental health was, you know, has suffered because of the housing crisis in Ireland. And I suppose you know, let me be clear. I mean, I know that sharing a room can often be part of the student experience. Mm. I mean, I shared a room with someone at one point, you know, when I was. Um, in college and absolutely you know that can happen but the reality here is that there are a lot of people sharing a room with more than one other person Um, there were people sharing um, you know houses with with large numbers of people as I say with not enough facilities um, not enough bathrooms 
um, you know, for them. And that's just the reality of what's happening at the minute. And like that, there is a large kind of shadow economy going on here when it comes to housing. There's a lot of things happening under the radar. Uh, a lot of our respondents said that they didn't have a lease, for example. They didn't mm-hmm. have anything in writing. Um, a lot of these landlords are not registered. They're rogue landlords. Um, so, you know, there is this sort of um, shadow activity happening within the housing uh, economy. And a lot of it does go underreported as well. Um, because I suppose people people are worried about reporting it, and particularly, you know, if they're coming here from another country, they don't know what the guards are like, they don't know how to interact here um, in terms of reporting, Indeed. you know, crimes and yeah. standard yeah. accommodation. And I, I think that's what makes your report particularly valuable today. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for bringing it to our attention. It really is a, an eye-opener. And thanks, Laura, as well, for joining us on the programme today. Laura Harmon is the Executive Director of ICOS. That's the Irish Council for International Students. Michael at lmfm.ie the Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Well, as you've been hearing in the last week or so, the government has announced it's going to increase on-the-spot fines to triple to €300 Euro for some breaches under the Control of Dogs Act. Much action had been promised following a spate of attacks on human beings as well as the ongoing problem with sheep and other livestock. Uh, In addition to increasing fines, more money is going to be given to dog shelters and a new stakeholder group is uh, to be established which will consider restricting further dangerous breeds. Let's speak uh, to Kevin Comiskey once again. Kevin is uh, the chair of the IFA's National Sheep Committee. Good morning to you Kevin. Thanks indeed for joining us. Uh, I take you were hopeful that the government would act and you believe that what they are doing now will result in any fewer sheep uh, being killed good morning michael yes um yeah looking it it's a welcome a welcome move um indeed there's more needed to be done but uh, to travel the fine is is uh, something that we had requested that these fines would be increased and uh Increase significantly, and and indeed the on-the-spot fine being uh, increased by treble is, is, you know, it is a significant increase. There's a lot of uh, other recommendations that we had there for the national single national database. We had uh, microchip, and the stakeholder group has to take all these things on board and and come back to the minister uh, sooner rather than later. It has to meet immediately, as far as I'm concerned, get these things uh, moving, and of course, and in relation going back to the fines. Uh, Minister McConnell has said he brought a memo to the cabinet there some months back um, to put forward or bring forward an extra 30 dog wardens uh, increases, and that would be a, a significant enough increase indeed as well, up to maybe in the region of 60% of an increase. But uh, this has to be done now because the fines is, is good and, mm. and welcome and everything. But if not enforced, Michael... Well, that brings uh, us to the, 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 the fundamental question uh, in relation to this. Uh, Heather Humphreys, uh, who's introduced uh, these changes, uh, said, I want to send a strong message to dog owners. The minister said, if your dog is not controlled, you will be fined. Do you believe that that will be the case? That has to be the case. It has to be the case. And I have always emphasised this, that its enforcement is key. No matter what rules is out there, or penalties, or sanctions, 
Um, the enforcement is key, and they have to get these dog wardens, they have to get feet in boots and get them out on the ground mm. uh, to enforce it, and that's that's the only way it, well, it will have effect. It, it would seem to be as though the minister is overstating it, uh, and that if your dog is not in control, it's quite probable that you won't actually be fined uh, when it comes to the reality of it. And I, I'm not sure, Kevin, that enforcement is key to it because I don't think people are bad. I don't think people want their dogs to worry sheep or kill sheep, as the case may be. I, I take it they just don't realise that their dog is capable of that because everybody has a gorgeous dog and they love their dog and their dog loves them and so on and so forth. Uh, but maybe education is the key. I didn't see much in terms of information campaigns or educational campaigns. Yeah, well, I suppose information and, and education is, is also probably a factor, but um, as regards highlighting it um, or, or getting information out there through yourselves has done an excellent job and all the local radio stations and papers and just on national television, the, the damage... And like I have always said, dogs is lovely. We have dogs. Mm. I have dogs myself. Fifty as people as dogs, and the, they think they won't do it. But that is the nature of the dog, and you can't blame the dog. So somebody has to be blamed, Michael. And uh, unfortunately, or whatever it is, it is the owner that uh, is responsible, and it's responsible ownership at the end of the day. You don't sound convinced. You sound as though you believe that some owners are irresponsible. They don't give a damn. Well, to put it bluntly, Michael, yes. That is, that is the case, and it's it's maybe a small percentage, but unfortunately, that is the case. We see it with dogs out there, different breeds and everything, walking around. Um, I had an incident, a person rang me up one day, and it's just a typical example of phone calls that I get, um, and this wasn't in relation to sheep, but it was a young woman was out walking along with her dog, uh, along with her child in a pushchair, and the child was running one side, wasn't in the pushchair, large dog came along and uh, jumped up on the child and tossed her and the woman got a bit annoyed and shouted at the owner of the dog who was also a female uh, you should have that dog on a lead and the reply was in vulgar enough terms you should have your child on a lead so when you have attitude like that out there Mm. I'm afraid you know it explains it quite clearly Would you prohibit some people from owning a dog? Well, maybe not prohibit them. Well, like um, that person there. I mean, if so, if somebody thinks that their dog can run around uh, and not worrying sheep, we're talking about worrying babies here, um, do you think uh, that they're uh, capable uh, of uh, being responsible enough to own a dog and control a dog, for that matter? Yeah, yeah, look at Yes, yes, I suppose. How do you identify them people? But certainly in a case like that, I don't think they should have a dog. It's, it's probably, the yeah, you're right. Um you know, and it is all about responsible. And, like, that was a typical, uh, mm. ridiculous attitude for anybody to have. Like, my God, knock over a wee child and say that they should be on a lead. Like, but that's just, I don't know where it came from. Mm. Um, you'd imagine that no human being should come out with a statement like that. But, yes, it's it's, mm. it's responsible ownership. And, and, uh, and there is a lot of good people out there, obviously, of course. Look, at there's... Plenty of people there were good and they keep their dogs on the lead and I see them out walking and they have their bags with them and everything. But unfortunately, there is people who goes out on the hills, goes out for a walk and they think they own the place and the land and everything and away with the away with the dog, off the lead and that's it. He runs riot and, uh, you know, and that's where he starts to do that. You see it on yep. Facebook, Michael, even, mm. you know, these dogs missing for several days and everything and that's not right. Mm. Yep. 
Yeah, and uh, just to remind people, apart from doing the right thing, uh, that the farmer has the right to shoot your dog if it's worrying livestock. Kevin, thank you indeed, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Kevin Comiskey is uh, the chair of the IFA's National Sheep Committee. Call Michael now, 0419832000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now to some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Sean texting, texting early this morning about uh, the redundancies at RTE. Some 400 people are to go, as we've been hearing. It's uh, about a fifth of uh, the workforce, and I'm sure it'll have implications on everybody's entertainment uh, and indeed uh, what will it mean in terms of programmes and so on. I take it we'll find out uh, all about that and if they're going to outsource or drop programmes or things like that uh, and uh, if television is going to be very different going forward. Uh, Sean texting is about radio though and he he says uh, if they have to get rid of 400 why not put Joe Duffy and Ray Darcy top of the list they're not stars they're just boring know-alls. Getting rid of those two would be a great start and it would leave room for new talent who would work gladly for a fraction of uh, the cost of uh, the pair of them. Thank you indeed, uh, Sean, for that. I have to say, never heard of them. Um, Joe Duffy, is it? And Ray... Ray Darcy, right. No, never heard of them. Thanks, Sean, though. Uh, Thanks uh, for your text. Our text number is, as always, 0861800658. A few people in touch with us about dogs. Somebody says, I'm a dog trainer. Uh, Using a long lead when you're walking dogs in the countryside is the simple answer to give them that bit of freedom, I suppose, if you want them to have a bit of a a, a run around. Uh, Madra Mott Dog Training. Thank you indeed very much. I'll repeat it. Madra Mott dog training. Thank you, as I say. Good to hear from you. Uh, Deirdre and Kells uh, in touch uh, saying the dog should be put on leads. Uh, can't have them roaming out. Uh, I'm a victim of a dog bite. Uh, the owners are the ones who are supposed to be in charge. It's the only way uh, to tackle this is to hit them in the pocket. Maybe they'll think twice, says Deirdre. Uh, another text from somebody about dogs who says, go for a walk any day in the Porsche fields and trim and you'll see the same people walking a dog or dogs off lead and dare you say anything to them says our caller well thank you for saying it to us Peter in touch with us about air grid and the pylons and the 50,000 per pylon plus the money for the cables he says give the landowners whose farms have pylons on them free electricity for life or as long as the pylons remain on the farmer's land. Thanks indeed for that, Peter. I think uh, the farmers in some cases would continue to have concerns about the pylons. Uh, Margaret, thanks uh, for your message. Yes, I didn't get to it. It came to us just as we were finishing up, but I think it's probably as relevant today as it was yesterday. And unfortunately, it'll probably be as relevant uh, today as it will be in a week or a month's time. It's about Gaza. She says, is Netanyahu for real saying that there's safe corridors for the Palestinians to get out of North Gaza? Every part of Gaza is under siege. The Palestinians are being killed on their way south and the south has also been bombed and people are dying there as a result of the Israeli invasion. This war started in 1948 when Palestinians were pushed off their land so a new independent state called Israel could be formed. Since then, the Palestinian people have been pushed 
off their land and a lot in the world expected them to accept their land being taken over. What is going on now is not just the annihilation of Hamas, it's the annihilation of the Palestinian people by an invader. That is genocide. What Hamas did was an unthinkable, heinous act, evil to the core as it is the slaughter of innocent civilians in Gaza by Israel when these civilians have absolutely nowhere to go. Thank you indeed, Margaret, as I say, for your text to us. The United States continues to work round the clock to support efforts to rescue and reunite hostages held by Hamas with their families where they belong. This includes many young children, one of whom is a three-year-old American citizen toddler whose parents were tragically killed by Hamas on October 7th. This is a top priority for President Biden, for Vice President Harris, for Secretary Blinken, for me personally. We have all spoken with families of U.S. citizens who are being held hostage by Hamas and have raised this issue with all of our counterparts. This remains a paramount priority for us. Just yesterday, President Biden spoke with the Emir of Qatar to discuss the important efforts and the important negotiations ongoing to try to secure the release of the hostages being held by Hamas. And later today here at the White House, I'll be meeting with some of the families of the Americans who are currently being held. That's Jake Sullivan, who is the National Security Advisor of... uh... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The United States talking about America's support for Israel, but he was also talking about aid getting into Gaza. The United States has also been leading efforts to increase the flow of life-saving, sustained humanitarian assistance, food, water, medicine, into Gaza. While we've made some progress, much more is urgently needed to alleviate suffering among the civilian population in Gaza. 
We're glad to see Israel take an important step in this direction last week. And we remain in active discussions with the Israeli government about the importance of tactical humanitarian pauses in the fighting to permit civilians to depart areas of active hostilities, to increase the flow of aid, and to enable hostage releases. We continue to have discussions at all levels, including President Biden with Prime Minister Netanyahu, to urge Israel to continue taking every possible measure to protect civilians. The loss of a single innocent life is a tragedy, whether it's a Palestinian civilian, an Israeli civilian, or anyone else. And we grieve for every innocent who is lost. At the same time, we will continue to stand behind the proposition that Israel has the right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. The American National Security Advisor talking about the loss of civilian life. This is what the president, Joe Biden, had to say about civilians being killed at hospitals. You know, I uh, have not been reluctant in expressing my concerns what's going on. Um, and it's my hope and expectation that... Uh, there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. Uh, we're in contact and we're with, uh, with the Israelis. Also, there is an effort to uh, uh, take this pause to deal with the release of prisoners. And that's being negotiated as well with the Qataris that are engaged. And uh, so I remain somewhat hopeful that the hospital must be protected. Right, that's the American president, Joe Biden, expressing his very concern, his very strong concern about what has been happening at the Al-Shifa hospital. So first, uh, what the president has just said and what I've said is that we do not want to see firefights in hospitals. We want to see patients protected. We want to see hospitals protected. We have spoken with the Israeli government about this, and they have said they share that view, that they do not want to see firefights in hospitals. And you've heard from IDF spokespeople uh, stating things along those lines. The Israeli government has also told us that they are prepared to provide fuel to hospitals to ensure that they can continue to operate and that the, it, for certain hospitals they actually have not been able to be in communication with the people who are actually running the hospitals. So that's something we will continue to work on. But the position of the United States on this matter is clear. Hospitals should be protected. Hospitals should be able to run effectively so that medical care should be, can be given to patients. And finally, to the extent people need to be evacuated from one hospital to another hospital in order to ensure the continuation of care, evacuation routes have to be safe. And the Israeli government has told us as recently as today that there are and will continue to be evacuation routes for uh, people leaving hospital compounds. So these are positions that for us are straightforward. They are clear. We have a constructive discussion with the Israeli government on this, and I believe that they have indicated they hold similar positions on these issues. Now, as for what happens on the ground, you know, in a given hour, on a given day, we can't react to every individual report. We can simply continue to state our position and continue to consult with the Israeli government uh, to ensure that they are doing their best to fulfill their stated position. Now, you've been listening to Jake Sullivan, who is the National Security Advisor of the United States. Jake Sullivan was speaking to reporters at a press conference in the White House yesterday. Um, yesterday you looked to uh, Israeli intelligence. Does, does the U.S. have any independent intelligence that Hamas has military facilities, a bunker under Pirelli al-Shifa hospital in Gaza? 
Well, what I said yesterday is that I'm not in a position to comment on intelligence matters, American intelligence matters. I can't divulge that to you. What I can tell you is that we see plenty of open source reporting about Hamas's use of hospitals and other civilian infrastructure to store weapons, to house fighters, uh, to engage in, in forms of command and control. But beyond that, I'm not in a position to, to speak specifically to a report about a specific hospital or a specific bunker. And so when uh, the president says that hospitals must be protected, um, what does the president, what does the United States want to see done with al-Shiva Hospital in particular and the Hamas facilities that you now point to open source intelligence saying why under it? Well, your question points up the complexity of this conflict and the added burden that Israel is facing as it goes against murderous terrorists who continue to say their goal is the absolute destruction of the state of Israel. You're dealing with a terrorist organization, Hamas, that takes civilian uh, hostages, including little children, that uses civilians as human shields, that uses civilian infrastructure, even hospitals, in the most cynical way possible, that is, as fighting positions, as uh, military operation centers. And so Israel has to confront that while at the same time not wanting to go assaulting hospitals in firefights that could put innocent people who are getting life-saving medical care in the crossfire. So there are not easy answers to this question, but this is the complexity, this is the burden that the Israeli Defense Forces are facing as they uh, conduct their operations. And our position is that Israel has the right to go after Hamas, but it does face this added burden, and that burden does not lessen its responsibility to act according to the laws of war. And so how that plays out in a particular operational dynamic, this tunnel or that bunker, ultimately those decisions lie with the, the military fighting. The, the United States can't dictate that, but we will continue to stand for the principle that the laws of war must be respected even as Israel goes after Hamas and the tools and infrastructure of its terrorism. Yeah. Do you have any proof of life on hostages, especially the Americans, in the negotiations that have been going on? Has there been anything that could reassure the negotiators, the president, and you that hostages remain alive and potentially could be rescued? So we have been very transparent about the fact that we have limited visibility into both the whereabouts of the hostages within Gaza and their condition. And, and I said as recently as yesterday that we have nine missing Americans, one missing green card holder, and I cannot look in the eye and tell you how many of those hostages are still alive. We do have information, and I'll be careful about how I characterize that, um, about some of the hostages and, and, and a notion that there are a substantial number of hostages who are not just alive, but who could potentially be part of a hostage release. Just part of a press conference given by Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor of the United States in the White House yesterday to some more of your comments. Uh, somebody saying, Michael, the Israelis are treating the Palestinians the way the Germans treated the Jews. Thanks indeed for your message. Another text from Margaret who says, has has Ergrid not learned the lessons from Storm Debbie where thousands of homes are now without power as a result of cables coming down? If those cables were underground, the storm would not have knocked them out. Another question uh, about this, um, if people really own their own land, if court orders can force 
them to allow companies like AirGrid access to private property property against the wishes of the owner. Thank you indeed, Margaret, for that. Uh, if you'd like to make a comment, as always, on the programme, our lines are open. You can phone us on 0419832000. That's 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Call Michael now, 0419832000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now, reading a report in the Irish Independent, uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking it's back to business as usual for one of uh, the most notorious drug gangs in the country. Robin Schiller has uh, been reporting on a Drogheda drugs gang who saw a lot of its members be arrested and incarcerated. But he is reporting on the release of a a number of the so-called anti-Maguire gang. This is one of the two gangs in Drogheda that took part in what was an exceptionally bloody gangland feud. The report by Robin Schiller in the Irish Independent quotes a source as saying that there may be no sign of the brothers, but their gang members are more active than ever now, and they are ruling the roost again. Let's speak to local Labour Party councillor Pio Smith, who's on the line. Good morning to you, Pio, and thanks indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, is that your understanding of uh, the situation on the ground today? Well, that's certainly an interesting uh, description from, from Robert Schiller. Uh, it wouldn't be uh, information that I've picked up. Uh, now, that's not to say it isn't true, because he's got his own sources. Uh, but certainly in regards to the drug trade, uh, it is as as big, if not bigger, than what it was, say, four or five or six years ago. Uh, despite all the good work that was done by Ngarda Shikon in regards to dismantling the two gangs, uh, there is a still a significant drug trade in the town. There is a significant market in the town. And there are people willing to become engaged in that market uh, for as much quick profit as they can get their hands on. Mm. Definitely. Robin Schiller talks about um, a break-in to a property in Moneymore with men armed with handguns. He, he says in, in his report that at least two men closely aligned to the anti-Maguire crew are believed to, to have been involved and it shows uh, that they're engaging in violent incidents and have access to firearms, uh, which of course is a concern. Do you know anything about uh, this break-in in Moneymore? I don't know anything about that specific incident that Robert talks about there, but what I do know is that there has been a significant rise in drug debt intimidation in in Drada. and uh, there are a number of uh, individuals and families <clears throat> being targeted over the last say two months in, in particular uh, people who would have no direct involvement in in either the drugs trade or in drug use and uh, they are coming under considerable pressure from uh, probably opportunistic thugs to some extent and maybe other people who are a bit more experienced in regards to the, the, the drug gang uh, scenario and uh, those people are really suffering considerably uh, in regards to the threats that have been made to them, the damage that's been done to the houses, uh, the ongoing demands for uh, payment uh, mm. for debts that they themselves never ran up and uh, in some cases didn't even know that uh, some uh, distant relatives of theirs had, had run up in the past. And uh, it is a significant problem. 
uh, it's a significant problem for the families themselves, for us as a society, but also for the council in terms of the fact that council houses are, are, are getting damaged. And unfortunately, what's happening is that it's the occupier of the house that has to pay for the repair of the damage mm. to the house. So these people are getting really hit on two fronts. And at times, as we've learned in the past, very wealthy drug dealers are living in council houses. Have you heard of people being intimidated with handguns or other firearms? Uh, uh, I haven't heard about people being intimidated with handguns, no, but definitely with other weapons. And, uh, uh, you know, the the level of violence that can be uh, put onto an individual uh, in terms of the beatings that they can get, in terms of the fact that you can get a petrol bomb through your front door, uh, all your windows put in. And a couple of months back, there was a petrol bomb left at the side of a house where there was an oil tank. And it was actually the wrong house that they, they targeted. So... You know, if that hadn't been seen by neighbours and the fire brigade called, that definitely would have resulted in the death of two people. Mm. Has anything changed, I suppose, is the next question. Uh, I mean, there was such a significant problem in the town and much change was promised. Uh, we do know that uh, the Gardaí acted uh, very decisively and quite a, a lot of the main players in this ended up in prison. Others are dead. There were knocking each other off, so to speak. Uh, but now that people have done their time and they're being released, are we looking at a, a situation where we could be going backwards uh, and back to, to those bloody days that we're all so familiar with? Exactly. That, that's my biggest fear, that we're going to go backwards. And uh, I said this at the Joint Police and Committee meeting last week when uh, the superintendent was there and, and other politicians were there. I mean, my fear is that if you look at the community policing unit in in the Garda Barracks and Drogheda. Now, that's at a lower manpower level than what it was three, four, five years ago. Uh, and, you know, that's because of a number of things. The recruitment and retention issues that are taking place in the guards at the minute are a problem for us because of the fact that if we can't get community guards into the areas that we need to get them into on a regular basis and building relationships with people, well, then, you know, it's not going to be an effective community policing unit. And that's not a criticism of the superintendent or the chief superintendent in Drogheda, that's a criticism of the government, to be honest with you, and, and government politicians, and all politicians in general who are failing to address this issue. And that's going to have a knock-on effect then in regards to uh, people living in Drogheda. Because the, the, the drug trade doesn't stop. Mm. Let's be quite clear with that. It doesn't stop. In fact, if anything, it keeps growing. And uh, if we don't have the personnel to be able to address it from a policing point of view, it can only go one way. The other problem that we have, too, is that we were promised a, a, a drug-related intimidation coordinator in Drada, and there was funding provided for that, for that, and we still haven't got that yet. Uh, and this is something that you know, needs to be addressed by Helen McEntee immediately because you know, with the level of intimidation that's going on, and even last week at the, at the meeting, the Garda superintendent acknowledged that there is probably a significant number of people who are not coming forward to say that they're being intimidated. Uh, and we know that there are a lot of people coming forward to, to say that they are being intimidated. So, you know, I definitely have a fear that we're going to slip backwards through complacency. What has happened? We were promised so much uh, and we were told money would be no object. Drogheda would be prioritised and that moves uh, would be made to uh, direct young people in a, a different direction to make other things a, a attractive to them. In the meantime, we've had the establishment of the Drogheda Implementation Board, uh, which occasionally tells us uh, about uh, projects uh, that they're involved. The latest was a, a kick, 
boxing um, uh, event at the Ballsgrove uh, Boxing Club. But has anything really happened in terms of changing the drug culture, which is Andrada, or indeed the criminality that goes along with the trade of drugs? Yeah, well, I think the implementation board is definitely doing good work. Uh, I think the support, there needs to be more support and quicker support coming from the government, particularly from the HSE. For example... We're looking at a situation... In but they were supposed to be the same well. thing. That is supposed to be the same thing, Pio. The, the government should be working through the implementation board and with the HSE. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And what's happening is that you've got an awful lot of silo thinking here because, you know, generally speaking, dealing with the HSE, you've got an entity there that really, you know, in my view, uh, isn't even answerable to the minister. That's that's how frustrated I am with the HSE. Mm. Uh but, but if you take a situation where we're looking at in money more, we've been calling for investment into a community hub in money more for the last two or three years. The, the development group in money more have drawn up significant plans and lobbied uh, government TDs in regards to the, the importance of funding for this. Mm. And still we're very in the very early stages of uh, trying to get some type of approval, just even for planning. But, I mean, you know, but, I mean, based on based, very... based on where we were and what we were promised, that uh, should have been a, a no-brainer, done and dusted long ago. Let alone what you said about there being fewer Gardaí in Drogheda now than there were five years ago. Uh, why are we taking our eye off the ball? Because that's what that sounds like, does it not? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, you know, and this is what me and you talked about before in regards to. When the feud was going on, it was in all the papers, it was in the radio stations, people were talking about it on a regular basis, it was on TV, and people were afraid, and demand was out, uh, and people were getting into the TD's ears saying, you've got to do something about this. But we always said the dangerous part of, this, uh, of the drugs trade is when it goes underground, when it's not in people's faces. And that's where we're at today, and complacency has set in. And, you know, you know we're going to be, again, trying to play catch-up in regards to this issue. And make no mistake about it, because the profits in regards to dealing in drugs are so significant, there will be people who will take risks and get involved in this game and will possibly injure or kill in order to make more profits from it. So you're right in what you're saying. Uh, the government needs to make decisions and make decisions rapidly here in Drada, particularly around the establishment of the community hub in Monimo and looking after then a similar uh, situation in Rockwell. And, you know, if we don't do that, then we're going to suffer the consequences. Mm. Are, are we at a, a stage, let's say, going back to before the feud kicked off proper, where this was bumble, bu- bubbling under the surface uh, and we'd heard of I- intimidation, uh, we'd heard of uh, petrol bomb attacks uh, and other uh, such dreadful criminality? Um, do you think that we're at that stage now and um, that there is the prospect of this kicking off again? I think we're very near that near at that stage. I mean, let's, you know, be straight here. You're dealing with people who, who themselves could be uh, very unstable, who could be using on a regular basis. And all it takes is for somebody in that situation to, you know, attack somebody else and then it kicks off and then it kicks off again and then it affects everybody. Uh, but what it is doing is it, it's putting people, it's imprisoning people, really, in, in, in communities in Drada. Mm. And it's not good enough, then, the response that we have in terms of a, of, of a society. Particularly, you know, all of us as politicians need to be standing up and saying that there is, as you said, there are identifiable things that need to be done quickly. And there shouldn't be 
a prolonged process through which you know we have to go in order to get the necessary things done. Uh, and that's what's holding things up. And, and it's yeah. ridiculous at this stage of the mm. game. But we're playing with fire here. Yeah, and well, that's the point. I was just going to talk about fire, and it literally is fire. And that is literally the concern. I mean, the idea of some yumfla off his head on coke with a, a pipe bomb at your petrol tank uh, or your home heating oil tank. Uh, 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 just because he has the wrong address uh, really isn't uh, something that would give anybody listening in Andrade any comfort this morning. No, it's a worrying trend. It really is a worrying trend that's happening, you know. And, uh, like, I mean, you, you know, let's look at what's happening too from in regards to Angara Shiakana. I mean, the the division's been expanded. So, you know, Drada's going to cover Ardy, he's going to cover Leighton, Betty, St. Mark, and back into Drada, right? We're talking about the best part of. 80,000 people, maybe a bit more. And my understanding, and I hope I'm wrong in this now, uh, my understanding is that there's only two Garda cars to cover that area. Uh, I don't know whether the commissioner has thought this through or not. It certainly appears to me as if he hasn't. But it, it, there's questions needed to be asked by the the, 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 the senior politicians in, in, in Loud in regards to what's going on here, because I can see down the road that this this is just going to lead to more... More trouble for people, uh, less ability of the guards to be able to respond to calls and uh, then, you know, the criminals get the upper hand. P.O., we'll leave it there for the moment. Many thanks for joining us on the programme today. P.O. Smith is a Labour Party councillor on Louth County Council. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reid Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now let's talk once again about the EU nature restoration law and re-wetting. The re-wetting thing was put to bed, wasn't it? Well, not quite. Uh, This law has not been finalised and as it stands, the restoration law will require extensive restoration of vast wetlands and protected habitats. Let's uh, speak to Eddie Punch, who's the General Secretary of the ICSA. The ICSA says it's dismayed at the situation as it stands. Eddie Punch, good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, I'm sure you'll forgive any confusion that there is in relation to this because I think most people would have thought that re-wetting was off the table uh, at least uh, in terms of compelability. Yeah, thanks for having me on and um, yeah, so so as, as people may recall there was considerable debate about this in the European Parliament in the run-up to the summer recess uh, in Brussels and the European Parliament um, I suppose reflected the concerns in member states across the union uh, with a lot of opposition. The the agriculture committee voted against the proposal in its entirety. So too did the fisheries committee, and the environment committee was unable to find a, a majority in favour of the proposal as made by the EU Commission. And as a result of this, I suppose considerable unease amongst a lot of uh, parliamentarians. Uh, the European Parliament then arrived at, I suppose, a compromised position to reflect, you know, quite considerable concerns among people on the ground across Europe. Some would have thought it was a a gun to the head uh, in terms of getting it over the line from the EPP, which includes Fine Gael MEPs, and that farmers would not be compelled to re-wet land. Yeah, because... 
the point is that the original commission proposal had, you know, essentially the, the member states shall put in place restoration measures and they shall be in place on at least uh, 30% of areas by 2030, rising to 70% of such areas by 2050, uh, of, of which at least half shall be re-wetted. And the others, you know, the, there was also debate about other parts of it having the water table uh, increased. Um, so this this obviously is a major, major concern for Irish farmers, and we have a lot of them on drain peatland. And, and that's basically farms that are viable and productive and producing crops and producing uh, livestock. And the issue, I, I suppose, we have is that first, this proposal was put forward by the Commission without having any kind of regard to the impacts on the livelihoods of, of farmers right across the European Union. It had little or no regard for the impact on food production and food security. And uh, it had no proposal in terms of how would you compensate for completely devaluing a farm and in some cases making a farm that was viable completely unviable going forward. And um, So all of these I suppose, shortcomings were exposed in the debate in the European Parliament. Mm. Um, but then, of course, what happens in the European decision-making is this trialogue process, which is a negotiation between the Commission, the Parliament view, and the Council of Ministers view. And what has happened now is that uh, we've just had a conclusion of those trialogue negotiations, and the outcome of that has been, a, a, I suppose, a compromised position that very much, in our view, sidelines the position of the European Parliament and is much more, I suppose, similar to the Commission's viewpoint. But it does say and, that rewetting will remain voluntary, does it not? Uh, I was reading in the Irish Times uh, that restoration measures for drain peatlands on at least 30% uh, of such areas would be needed by 2030, 40% by 2040 and 50% by 2050 uh, to scale up rewetting. But it, it will remain voluntary for farmers and private landowners. So if that is correct, uh, will it be state lands that will be rewetted? Um, that's, you know, th- that's very much, I suppose, open to some discussion and debate because in, in theory it's voluntary. But on the other hand, the targets are there. And there is also, of course, the knock-on impact on farmers who are joining these state lands. And there is a lot of concern among our members that if, for example, they're joining Bordemona lands, that if Bordemona rewets their land, it will have a knock-on impact on the land adjoining it. And, you know, this is this is a clear concern for a lot of our members because they see very logically that if if the land beside them is flooded, it does have a knock-on impact on their farm. Mm. Uh, and this is, you know, and, and this is assuming, of course, that we can reach the targets using state land. And well, that's the assumption, and uh, if that's not possible, I would imagine then the state will look for farmers to do it voluntarily, but if they can't meet the targets, then they're going to have to compel. Is that your fear? That, that is exactly the fear. And the problem is that the EU has ran away from outlining precisely how such farmers would be compensated. So nobody is going to put their hands up for this. Not one farmer is going to volunteer for this unless there was a really uh, fundamentally strong compensation package in place. Because 
you know, land is expensive. Uh, they're not making any more of it. So if you re-wet your land, that destroys the viability of it. And that puts you out of business. And if you want to buy land to replace that, you're not going to find it very easy to get it. So we have to have, um, and, and it hasn't been there. I mean, at one stage, Vice President Timmermans, who has gone back to the Netherlands now, but earlier this year, said that there was no need for any any uh, dedicated fund to address the the issue of farmers having their land totally devalued for all time. And you have to understand that a lot of these farms have been reclaimed by the blood, sweat and tears of farmers over two, three generations. Mm. And the farmers who are there now are very proud that they have you know, produced a lot of food that has provided a lot of nutrition off that land for many years against the odds and, and as a result of a lot of hard work, not just of themselves, but of, of the people who went before them. And to say that all of that will be, you know, destroyed uh, is, is a hard ask for those farmers. The other point, of course, is that the whole proposal is based on international uh, scientific research which it turns out is not really readily applicable to Ireland. And Chagas has now produced research showing that if we use the international metrics, uh, the estimates of carbon emissions from drained peatlands in the Irish context is wrong by a factor of 60%. Miles wrong. Right. And it's really, it's really not good practice, in our view, to be bringing in draconian regulations based on flawed or incomplete scientific analysis, which is essentially what has happened. Okay, and I'm sure that could be argued back and forth. Having said that, uh, what does this mean uh, in terms of uh, the response of uh, the farming community? Well, look, there will be, all hell will break loose if people are being pushed into re-wet their land. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, let's look at it from the, 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 I suppose, policy-making scenario first. Mm. So now that there is an agreement between the three institutions, it still has to go back to the European Parliament to vote on it. And I would suggest that that should not be seen as a done deal yet, because a lot of the Irish MEPs and indeed other MEPs in the EPP group, as you've mentioned, reluctantly voted in favour of the Parliament position, uh, which of course you know, significantly, uh, I suppose, downgraded a lot of the draconian measures in this. Mm. But now they will be asked to vote for the final position, which again goes back closer to the Commission's original proposals. And I think each MEP is going to have to reflect on whether the views of the Parliament have been dismissed or sidelined. And and from our ICSA point of view, that's exactly what has happened that the Commission has had its way. And I think that's a bit that's a bit disturbing from the bigger European, I suppose, decision-making process because mm-hmm. we think that the Commission increasingly is not listening to the people on the ground. Uh, there was a lot of uh, pressure put on parliamentarians by the EU Commission. And at one stage, I think, you know, our view was that Vice President Timmermans had exceeded his mandate in cajoling and some might even say bullying MEPs okay. to do what he wanted. Okay. And I, I think There's a lot of pressure on both sides. 
A lot, lot of pressure coming from both sides. Uh, I think it's uh, true to say, Eddie, and I'm sure that the MEPs will be very cognizant of that six months out uh, from uh, the European elections. we we'll leave there for the moment, though. Thank you, though, for joining us on the programme today. Eddie Punch is uh, the General Secretary of the ICSA. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Time now, as is always around this time on a Tuesday, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As always, there's a number of incidents which Garda are investigating, and perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Sergeant Mark Doyle joins us from Ashburn Garda Station for this week's report. Good morning to you, Sergeant. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to begin in County Lab with some stories of criminal damage. The first of these at Townley Manor on Friday of last week. Uh, cheers, Michael. Thanks for having us on. Um, in relation to this uh, criminal damage in Townley Manor, it occurred at approximately 11pm on the 10th of November, whereby a plant pot was set, in f- set on fire outside um, the front door of a house. Uh, we'd, be, we'd be anxious to try and get any more information um, that the locals might have about that. It, it could have been a quite more serious event if uh, the fire hadn't been put out on time by locals. Okay, next uh, to Money Moore and St. Lawrence's Park. Um, those occurred um, similar times between 4am and 4.30am in the Money Moore estate and St. Lawrence's Park area of Drada. Uh, given the locality, both estates being very close together, we um, are looking into possibly are these both incidents both linked. Both front windows of these houses were smashed and... Um, reasons unknown at the moment but uh, we would be uh, looking into the fact that they may be linked given the locality of both of them. Okay, indeed uh, there may be concern about uh, that report based on on our our discussions earlier in the programme. We'll move to Dundalk though uh, and uh, to last uh, Friday night, Saturday morning where a number of vehicles were damaged and some property was stolen for that matter. Correct, at the parking share facility in Gibbstown in Dundalk uh, five vehicles were damaged over the, the evening of the 10th into the morning of the 11th um, and a quantity of property was stolen from these predominantly vans were, were targeted at the time which is unfortunately coming all too, all too common these days vans are being targeted because of the, the, um, the tools and, the, and the, the stock that they would hold uh, We move uh, from County Louth to County Meath uh, a number of burglaries to report on in County Meath uh, the first of these in Kells uh, and uh, this took place sometime over the weekend Yes, Michael. In the Taylor Hall area of Kells, um, the owner of the house um, reports that the burglary occurred sometime between the 10th and the 12th of November as they were away from the house at the time. They returned home to find that a burglary had occurred. Um, Fortunately, nothing had been stolen in, in this case. But in the Taylor Hall area of Kells, between the 10th and the 12th, if anyone in the area may have seen or heard anything uh, suspicious, uh, second uh, burglary to report on in County Meath. This one occurred on Saturday in Oldcastle. Correct. Um, on the 11th at approximately 6 o'clock in the evening, the owner of the premises in Tuberbawn in Oldcastle returned home to find that a burglary had occurred at their house um, and a sum of cash was stolen. Again, if anyone in the area of Tuberbawn on that, that evening, the 11th, um, seen or heard anyone or any vehicles um, suspicious around the area, we'd, we'd love to hear from them. A third burglary to report on again on Saturday just gone by uh, and once again uh, this occurred in Kells. Correct, Michael. In the Park Lodge area of Kells at approximately 7pm um, three males uh, all wearing dark clothing were disturbed by a neighbour 
uh, these males were in the process of uh, carrying out a burglary at this address in Park Lodge. Um, when disturbed, they all fled on foot. Fortunately, again, nothing was stolen, but uh, we would uh, appeal to anyone in the area to come forward with any information they may have. OK, we move now to Trim, where Gardaí are investigating an assault. This happened on Sunday outside of a pub in the town. It did. In the early hours of the 12th, outside um, the James Griffin pub in Trim, uh, a male was assaulted um, by another male who's unknown to him, uh, allegedly. Um, he suffered minor injuries. Nonetheless, we're, we're trying to uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together to try and find who this man is. If anyone that was out socialising on the night in, that in, in Trim that might uh, have any, any information or assistance, we'd be much obliged. OK, we go back a, a week in time to last Tuesday for our next report. Uh, this is at the Black Castle Estate in Navan, where Gardaí are investigating some criminal damage that occurred. Correct. On the stand, as probably 10 past 3 in the morning, extensive damage was caused to the front of a house at the Cardinals Park, out the front as well. Um, inquiries are ongoing in relation to that, but um, it is possible that someone has heard or seen something, given the the level of noise that may have been um, may have occurred while this damage was being caused. Someone might have looked out a front window, and um, car alarm may have went off. They might have looked out and seen something or heard something. Um, we'd love to hear from them. And further damage on the same day than at the shopping centre. Correct. Later on that morning, at about half nine, down at Black, Black Castle shopping centre on the seventh, uh, the windows of a car was smashed that was parked outside a house adjacent to Black Castle shopping centre. Um, Again, someone might have heard or seen something half nine in the morning, quite a busy time in the morning for traffic, uh, pedestrians and whatnot. If anyone's seen or heard anything, please give us a ring. Okay, and just to conclude, very briefly, uh, some local Garda awards. Uh, correct, uh, Michael. The, the Meat Garden Division, uh, in, associate, in association with the Centre, um, are, are delighted to announce the return of the Garda Youth Awards scheme for 2023. Uh, these awards celebrate outstanding young people living in Meath between the ages of 13 and 21. Um, and Gardaí and Centra recognise the considerable amount of positive work that has been done by young people throughout communities across Mead on a daily basis. Um, we're now accepting nominations for young people in the area who make a positive contribution to their community, um, helping to make it a better place to live. Groups of two or more young people whose combined efforts have contributed positive, positively to communities will also be considered. Um, the award categories include a special achievement award for young persons who have overcome difficult circumstances in their lives and whose bravery has set them, set them apart. There is an adult mentor award which recognises that many young people get invaluable help along the way from an adult, be it from mentors, coaches, group leaders, uh, etc. This vital and awful um, unrecognised work helps to develop a sense of self-worth in young people. There is a National Guard Youth Award scheme in place and one winner of each of these categories will go forward to represent Mead in the National Youth Awards. Very good. Sergeant, um, thank you indeed. Uh, I've run, I'm sorry, Sergeant, I've run over time, but thank you in, indeed. Uh, more uh, details on that and on. Sergeant Mark Doyle of Ashburn Garda Station. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.